As we get started today, I want to remind you guys that Friday was Veterans Day. Uh, it's a very important day for us at the University of Houston. We have a lot of veterans who are going to school there. We have a lot of, uh, especially the Marines and the Air Force are stationed on, on campus. And so we have a great opportunity there to say thank you to everybody who is either currently serving or who has served in the military in the past. You know, when we say thank you for your service, their, their response typically is, and thank you for your support. And that makes us feel good that we're just doing something small for these incredible men and women who have served us. As we come to Thanksgiving in just a few weeks, I actually heard someone ask this. They said, in this multicultural world in which we live, why do we still celebrate Thanksgiving? And no, I did not say a thing or show an evil face, although I was flummoxed, absolutely flummoxed that someone would ask a ridiculous question like that. Why do we celebrate Thanksgiving? See, they're thinking that Thanksgiving is only about turkeys and pilgrims and the Native Americans who were here when the Europeans landed and took over the country. They think it's about that. It's not about that. Saying thank you to Almighty God exists in every country all over the world. The ability to stop and say, God, thank you for everything that we have. Thank you for this country. Thank you for our freedoms. Thank you for the people you surround us with, the people you put into our lives. If you are in a family, you should be extremely thankful to God every single day that you share your life with those people. Amen? I mean, who wants to be alone in the world? Who wants to be an isolated person? If you have a family, you have a place where you belong. So if we're not going to be talking about the pilgrims and the Native Americans, if we're not talking about those things, where does our source of thanksgiving come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. The book of Psalms, chapter 107. So open up your Bibles. If you want to know where Psalm 107 is, take your Bible, fold it exactly in half, Open it and you're pretty close. You're pretty close. The book of Psalms is dead in the middle of most Bibles. Unless it's a study of Bible, then it could be off by just a little bit. Psalm 107, we're going to look at why we should give thanks to God. Why we should be grateful people. And there are three special reasons that you will find right here in this scripture. Three reasons why we must give thanks why we have to say thank you to God. And I want you to see them right here. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 1, we have this. We thank God because he has called us home. Now, I know what you're thinking. When we say God has called us home, we typically think about funerals. We think about death. No, God has called us to a home. The church is each person in this building, amen? We are the church. But God has given us a place where we can come together. Psalm 107.1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the land of the foe, from the hand of the foe, and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in the desolate wilderness. Pay attention to that. The psalmist is trying to give you a picture that every Jewish person would know about why God is good. 
He has, the sum says, some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no place, no way to a city where they could live. They were hungry and thirsty. Their spirits failed within them. Then what changed? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He rescued them from distress. He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wonderful works for all of humanity. For he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hunger with good things. Underline verse 8. Verse 8 is a line you will see again and again and again. And it says that this idea of giving thanks goes beyond just the people who were there. Of course, this is centered when the children of Israel were in the desert, when they refused to enter the promised land, when they would not go to the home that God had given them. He said, go in there and take it. Oh, Lord, we can't. We're too small. We're too weak. We can't go in there. They're big people. We can't do that. No. Yes, they were told that. They did not believe it. They disobeyed. And yes, they wandered in the desolate wilderness for 40 years. Why? God said, none of those who are of age, who have rejected my gift, none of them will see the promised land. They will wander in that wilderness and they will die there. They will never know the peace and the rest that I intended for them because they turned their back on it. How many people have been raised in church? How many people have gone into a church, into a Sunday school class, into a Bible study? They've gone there. They've seen the promises of God, and yet they refuse to come home. Now, I've been in pastoral ministry for over 30 years. If you go all the way back to the days in seminary and go back to all of that, my days overseas, I've spent about 30 years in ministry. I've seen so many people in so many churches, not just here, but in other countries around the world. And they hear the truth. They hear the offer that God makes that I am going to give you a home. I'm going to give you a safe place with me. You will never be alone. You will never be hungry. You will never be thirsty. I will give you a land dripping with milk and honey. That promise was for Israel then, but there's a promise for us today. How many people live alone, live isolated, desperate, lonely lives because they will not take the promise that God gives them. It amazes me day by day. People say, what do I have to be thankful for? I'm alone. I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife. I don't have a partner. I don't have a stable job. I have no reason to give God thanks. I have nothing. And I think to them, you're alive. You have breath in your body. You have strength in your body. The only thing is you refuse to acknowledge. Remember, back there in verse 6, they were messed up. They were in the desert. They had lost everything. Then he says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He rescued them from their distress. That's always going to be the turning point. Remember that. No matter who you talk to, no matter how badly their life is messed up, and believe me, we know people whose lives are utterly destroyed by the decisions that they've made in life. I've known pastoral couples who, who had this, this knowledge of what God intended, and I've seen them turn on each other, and now their marriages are a shipwreck. Why? 
because they believed they knew better than God. We've talked about this in the past. Here it was, Israel knew, but they chose not to listen. And they got themselves in a terrible situation. But when they cried out to God, did God say, mm, no, I'm still mad at you. No, you had your chance then, but you're not going to get a chance now. God didn't do that. He said, oh, now you see a problem. Let me bring you home. Let me give you a home where you will belong, where you will be safe. You will have the food you need, the water you need, the comfort, the companionship that you need. How many single people at Thanksgiving, at Christmas, sometimes at Easter, find themselves wandering into a church because they are so desperately lonely, they need some place where they feel like they are part of something. And they get there and they experience it, and they go, this is wonderful, I love this. But then something happens, and they go, you know what, I'm better now, I feel better, I don't need this now, I can go out there and make it on my own. Isn't it amazing to me? that God just does so much and people keep rejecting him. As soon as they're feeling better about their life, they just turn their back on him. I don't need him today. Maybe in the future I'll need him, but not today. So the very first reason we should give thanks to the Lord, not the pilgrims, not the Native Americans, not the turkeys. I mean, if you're turkey intolerant, you can't eat it. You can still be happy at Thanksgiving. Why? Because God has given you a home with him, a safe place. And this church should always be a safe place for those who seek God. But the second thing I want you to see is this. He has shown us grace and he has shown us mercy. Psalm 107.10, others sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains because they rebelled against God's commands and they despised the counsel of the Most High. That word despised, that's a strong word. It means they saw the very words of God as foolishness. How many people do you know, and I know a bunch, who think, oh, the Bible's nothing more than old stories. It's old wives' tales. It's nonsense that we can ignore because it doesn't apply to the real world. If it didn't apply to the real world, why would you be here every week listening to it? It has something to say to you. It has something to show you. And when you're willing to listen, it is so much better. But it says they rebelled against God's commands, despised his counsel. He broke their spirits with hard labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help them. How many people today are broken because of their decisions? I'll say it again. How many people that you and I know have utterly destroyed their lives because they would not listen to the things they learned as children in Sunday school. Verse 13, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them. That picture right there, saved them, is somebody drowning in the water and somebody in a boat reaches out, grabs them by the hand, pulls them to land, pulls them onto a dry place, pulls them somewhere out of the jaws of death. How many people have stood on top of a building looking out and wondering, why shouldn't I jump? You know, at U of H, we've seen students, beautiful, bright, intelligent people, stand on the tops of buildings and just decide to leap because they couldn't find a reason to live one more day. And it, it confounds me 
that people measure their life by how much financial success they think they're going to find or by their popularity or by how well they're doing in a class. And I am amazed that people throw away life so easily when life itself is the greatest of all gifts. It says they cried out to him in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wonderful works for all of humanity. There's that phrase again. Let all of them give his gifts to humanity. For he has broken down the bronze gate and cut the iron bars. You can go all the way back to Egypt. And they were enslaved. They were slaves building the pyramids for the pharaohs. They were captive in a foreign land. And God set them free. There's a little more here than this, though. Y'all's brain should be thinking, wait, wait. Broke down the bronze gates, cut the iron bars. Does anybody know about the fall of Babylon? Babylon, which for 70 years held the Israelites captive. You see, they got out of Egypt because God is good all the time. Then they were taken captive. Why? Because they turned their back on God and God allowed the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar to take them captive. Do you know how the great city of Babylon fell? A cat named Cyrus, Medo-Persian. He dammed up the water. And you know what happened? The water went down. And the, the, the Babylonians, being terrible engineers, built bars over all the rivers, over all the aqueducts. And the bars went down into the water, but they didn't go to the bottom. These guys dammed up the river and they walked an army under the gates, under the, under the siege gates. And they walked them right into the city and took over the city before anybody knew they were there. How amazing is it? These bronze gates, these iron bars that were meant to kept, keep Israel captive, disappeared. And when Cyrus came in, he was brought a message, a scripture that named him by name and said, Cyrus is my servant. Cyrus is my messenger. He will set you free. You know what Cyrus did? This conquering man? Oh, cool. Let them go. Send them home. Let them rebuild their temple. Let them rebuild their city. He wasn't going to fight God. God gave him the city. He knew it. Cyrus's name appears in the scriptures before he's ever born. And then when he takes the city, yo, king, this is why you're here. Because God put you here to set us free. Okay, you're good. See, he was smart. He knew. He didn't have to show them grace and mercy. He told them they would be captive for 70 years, and they were captive for 70 years. Then, in the midst of all of that, they cried out. They begged God, God, give us another chance. Let us go one more time. And he sent them a deliverer. Not an Israelite, not a Messiah. He sent them Cyrus, king of the Persians, sent them in and set them free. Tell me God isn't amazing when he can use even a pagan to accomplish his purposes. God has shown us grace and mercy. Why? How many people that you know, that I know, were captive to alcoholism, drug abuse? They were in destructive relationships. 
They were in situations, like I said, I, I know people, I know Christian people in ministry turning on each other and abusing each other. And it's just, it's heart-wrecking that people who know the truth of God can forget all of God's goodness, all of God's grace, all of his mercy, and they do these terrible things that happen only in the world and should never be seen among God's people. But it happens. But you know what? In the midst of all that, when you come out of that terrible relationship, there is grace, there is mercy, there is restoration because our God is a redeeming God. Amen? You want a reason to have thanksgiving? Because our God redeems whosoever will call upon his name. That's why Jesus said, no, whoever calls upon my name will not, will not be punished. I will redeem them. I will bring them back. I will be the propitiation for their sin. I will wipe it out. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will, not can, will be saved. You want to give somebody good news this week? Tell them that. Yeah, tell them there's a surgery. Yeah, tell them there's a baby. Yeah, tell them you rode 28 miles. Tell them that Jesus saves. That's the best news anybody can get at one of the loneliest times of the year. This is the loneliest time of the year. More suicides, more desperate acts, more people crying out for, for, for love, crying out for mercy and grace. Here's mercy and grace. And it comes where? Through the church, through God's people. I want you to remember that. You are the instruments of God's grace and mercy. Be those instruments. The last thing I want you to see is this. The last reason to give thanks to God. He rescues the wayward soul. If you don't know what wayward is, wayward is somebody who is traveling a way and gets lost and gets off of the road. He gets stranded somewhere out there in the middle of nowhere where you shouldn't be in the first place. Psalm 107.17. Fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their sins. You want to know why people get in deep water and they screw up their lives and they get lost? Because they are rebellious against God's plan. God says, don't do this. I'm going to do this. God says, don't live this way. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to make my own course. I am the master of my own fate. Only an absolute moron, an absolute idiot, believes they are the master of their own fate. You might be the master of your own destruction. You might be the master of your own collapse. But God is the master of all things. That's how a pagan king can march under a gate and free a people that God intends to free. So fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their sins. They loathed all food and came near the gates of death. Here we go again. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from the pit. Verse 21, here we go again. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wonderful works for all humanity. If you're wondering why this sounds like this, this is a psalm. Translate to a song. These original verses would have been sung by maybe one half of a choir. Then the other half of the choir would have responded, let them give thanks to the Lord. So you would have a verse and you would have a response, a verse and a response. For those of you who did not grow up in the Catholic church, 
This is why you have that model in the Catholic Church. This call and response, very Jewish, very much what you would hear resounding in the temple. Could you imagine being in the temple and Jesus is there and you hear these words blasted from one side of the sanctuary and you hear the response from the other side. Yeah, this is what happened and I was lost and I was messed up and God saved me. Give thanks to God because he is good. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and announce his works with shouts of joy. Thanksgiving is for telling how good God is. You know, the pilgrims nearly got wiped out that first winter. But thank you, Native Americans. We were there. We helped y'all stay alive. It was all good. Then we had our, our fish and salmon and everything except turkeys. We didn't have turkeys at the first one. I mean, I wasn't there, but I hear, right? They celebrated what? The goodness of God in sending them, the Native Americans, to show them how to stay alive in this new land. You don't think God put them there? He put them there for a reason, to save that seed that he was going to plant in this country. So let them off, offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and announce his works with shouts of joy. Others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast waters. They saw the Lord's works, his wonderful works in the deep. If you've ever seen whales breach the surface, we saw them in Boston. If you've ever seen whales breach the surface and blow that spoon into the air, you know how good our God is. Because he didn't just make chihuahuas. He made blue whales and humpback whales and these amazing creatures that live in the depth. Have you seen, have you seen lately? They have been finding jellyfish that are like 18 feet long. Massive, massive creatures. And our God is the God who made them all. I think it's amazing. He spoke and raised a tempest and stirred up the waters of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths. Their courage melting away in anguish. They reeled and cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to the murmur, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they longed for. See that? People are lost in a storm. They are lost at sea. They are begging, crying, their eyes straining to find safety. And God is the only one who can lead them to safe harbor, if only they knew. Then verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wonderful works for all of humanity. Read this passage. What do you think about? You start off at the very beginning. You're thinking, okay, um, Jonah. Jonah's out there and he's, he's running away from God. He's supposed to go one direction. He goes the other. And God sends a storm. And the sailors go, this is not a natural storm. Okay, who sinned against their God? Whoops, it's you. Over the side you go. And instead of taking him into the depths to kill him, he took him into the depths so that in those depths, in that place of death, he could be reminded that God is good, that God is the deliverer, God is the redeemer. And then that fish, that giant fish, took him right to where he needed to be, spewed him up on the land, and let him go finish God's work. Oh, by the way, if you think Jonah was looking good coming out of the whale, you're wrong. Being in that stomach with all those gastric juices, his skin was probably bleached and blistered. So he looked like, he looked like death warmed over when he came out of there. What did he say? One thing, this many days y'all are dead meat. And they, he stopped. 
He didn't elaborate. He didn't preach a 30-minute sermon. He gave him one warning, walked off, but he looked like the angel of death in person. And they responded. But you, you read this some more. And you know what? I think about this when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. And these are fishermen. They've been out there a dozen times. They know those waters. And the storm comes up. They start freaking out. Why? Because they think they're going to die. Jesus, don't you care we're about to get, get to get swamped over by all this water? He says, are you serious? Are you seriously doubting me after everything you've seen? He gets up and says, water, shut up. Goes back to bed. And when the water clears, when the storm clears, they're at land. They are where they needed to be. That's how our life can be. We can think that we are so far from shore. We are so far from hope. We are so far from an answer. But as soon as we cry out to God and submit to him, the storm clouds go and we are where we need to be. We are exactly where he meant for us to be in our life. If only we'd had the faith to walk that out. So the question is this, where are you at today? Are you sinking in a storm or are you walking on the water? Remember, Peter tried to walk on the water. He got pretty far. See, everybody dogs Peter for, uh, for not making it out there. But he was the only one who tried. He was the only one who stepped out on the water and started walking. Okay, he, he got messed up on the way, but he tried. And the Lord knew it. And the Lord built on that. So where are you at today? Are, are you walking on that water or are you sinking in the water? Are you confused There's about what to do, how to live your life, how to make the decisions you need to make? Or are you confident that the God who began a good work in you will never stop working in you until he calls you really home? Think about where are you today? Where are we in life? Are you trusting in your strength, your brains, your skill, your abilities? Because it says right here, it says they were out there and their skills came to nothing. It came to nothing. He had to still the storm to a hush. And then they could see where they truly were. Where are you at in life today? Are you walking confidently? I know a lot of people that are in the midst of decisions. You're trying to decide what to do. You're trying to decide how to go forward. You're looking for that path through the Red Sea. God will show you. And we've seen it again and again and again. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Isn't that amazing? That phrase again and again. Then they gave thanks to God, who did a wonderful work for all of humanity. What was the wonderful work for all of humanity? Remember, this is the Psalms. This is Old Testament. This is pre-Jesus. And yet he says again and again, his wonderful works for all of humanity. What was that wonderful work? Sending his son. Coming as a human. I was talking to Miss Sue earlier. And I was trying to explain the Trinity. And I said, Billy Graham tells this story. Billy Graham says a father and son were walking outside. And accidentally the boy stepped on an ant mound. Pulled his foot back. He said, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. His father said, what's wrong, son? Well, look at those poor ants. They're running around. They're scared. They're terrified. And he says, I, I feel like I just want to yell out, I'm sorry. And he said, son, if you yelled at the ants, you're sorry, all they would hear was lightning and thunder. Hmm, Mount Sinai. He says, the only way you could tell those ants 
What you want to tell them is if you become an ant. You get down to their size, their language, their limitations, and then tell them that you're sorry. Then tell them what you want to say. That's what God did. He took his magnificence and he compressed it down into a single human being. A human being who could speak, who could be understood, who could be related to. A human being who could take upon his shoulders all of our sins, who could die in our place, and who could rise to give us hope. That's why we give thanks at Thanksgiving. We don't just give thanks for the country and for the soldiers, although they deserve it. We don't just give thanks for being happy, fat, old people. We give thanks because God has given us everything. I don't care how long you've worked, how hard you've worked, you have nothing that God hasn't given you because he gave you life and he gave you the ability to do what you've done. Amen? So let's give thanks to the Lord for his wonderful works for all of humanity. Let's pray.